0: It's Jennifer Diane Gostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our biological family. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma? Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is a published author, and his book is called Forbidden Roots, a memoir of late discovery adoption. His name is Fred Nakora, and I had the privilege of meeting him in person at the Untangling Our Roots Summit this year, given by Right to Know and NAP, National Association of Adoptees and Parents. In this episode, Fred discusses his book and what being on the other side of writing and publishing has meant to him. The back cover of his book states, Forbidden Roots Brings Readers into Fred Nakora's innermost thoughts as he sets his foundation swept away with a simple slip of the tongue at the age of 41 while attending a large family gathering. This gripping and true story about being suddenly thrust into the world of adoption explores the expected and the unexpected as he seeks to understand his new identity and reframe his past. It was through Fred that I was put in contact with two more male adoptees, Jack Rocco and Brad Ewell, who I look forward to being a future guest on my podcast. Allow me to introduce you to Fred, whose short bio states that he has followed a path of unexplained restlessness ignited by undisclosed triggers in his efforts to find the right fit for his own identity and seek truth in his life. Careers explored on his journey include healthcare, administration, architecture, business consulting, teaching, and his own entrepreneurial endeavors, including a startup fitness-based company, and now authoring his story of being thrust into the adoption triangle. Fred holds a bachelor's degree in business administration, a master's in management technology, a master's in architecture, and a secondary lifetime teaching license via a master's program. Fred, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. How are you doing over in Wisconsin?
1: Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for having me here. Hey, I am enjoying Wisconsin. We are in spring, there's no more snow. Things are greening up. A little chillier today, but still, I'll, I'll take it. So how about you? How are you doing? I think you're in Nashville, aren't you?
0: I am in Nashville, and I'm doing great. The weather is just beautiful today. I did my walk in the woods. I think I saw my first fox. I don't think I've ever seen a fox in, in person really? before. I've been, Since I've been in Nashville, nine years now. I have seen more wildlife than I have ever seen in all my life living here. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, I'm doing really good. And I'm so glad that you're taking the time out to have this conversation with me. We've got a lot to talk about because guess what? We met in person.
1: (laughs) We did. We did. And it was amazing. It was awesome.
0: I know. So we want to give a shout out to Write to Know. And National Association of Adoptees and Parents for bringing all of us together for untangling our roots, the summit. And when I tell you I had people that I have been talking to for like two years, some via Zoom and phone, and had never been in the same room with them, I could not believe it was happening. And it was just an extraordinary experience. How was it for
1: you? It was amazing. I, as a whole, I live pretty rural, you know, so when you're, you're talking about never seeing foxes, it's like, I have a problem with foxes around the ravines. They used to eat all my chickens. <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm not on the same board <laughs> with all this stuff as you are. So I guess what I'm saying is I, I tend to live more isolated. I have my own business. I, I service farmers markets in the summer with uh, some gluten-free bread products. So for me, all of a sudden getting into the big city and uh, interfacing w- with all these people, you know, it, it was kind of. I'm going to say it on the front end, it was like, oh, I hate travel. I don't want to go do this. But once I got there and then started realizing what an amazing experience it actually was, it was worth a seven-hour drive. I, and and for me, that's a lot to say that because I have no tolerance for traffic. And I think you'll appreciate this. I had to go through Chicago to get there. So Chicago <laughs> and driving is not anything I'd want to do on my own, given a choice. So, yeah, it's, so not, anyway, it's not at yeah, the
0: top of your list, I know.
1: <laughs> no, but the experience was amazing. There are There were so many just phenomenal people there. Just in terms of the growth within myself, being able to ground myself and see so many different aspects to the entire adoption constellation was amazing, was just amazing. So anybody ever think about going to something like that down the road, I highly recommend it.
0: Yes, I do too. In person conferences are really something special. And I do appreciate Zoom and phone calls. But when you get the chance to be in the same room and go to workshops and and hug another adoptee and get their book, it's really nice, really, really nice. And they did a great job, standing strong, standing together was the title on the itinerary. What was really nice, too, is that we were brought together, like different groups were brought together, the NPEs and the donor-conceived and adoptees and, of course, LDAs. And that is how you identify as an adoptee, a late-discovery adoptee. And so that has another layer, I would say, to this whole subject of relinquishment and adoption. And I'm so glad that you wrote your book, Forbidden Roots, a memoir of late discovery adoption. So got a chance to read it. I loved it. The pace of it is wonderful. It's just fast. And there's a lot that you talked about once you found out that you were an adoptee at 40, 41. How old were you?
1: I, I was 41. Yeah, I discovered in 2000 at uh, the age of 41. Given that I'm 64 now, so I've been chewing on this puzzle for about 23 years. And you know, for me, I I would even dare say that, and that could be a whole other discussion. But at some level, I I think, and I'm going to say subconsciously, I think I've been chewing at the puzzle a lot longer. Uh, that is, I think there was something within me that I always knew something was wrong. I just never could put my finger on exactly what it was i i just knew something wasn't quite meshing the way it would or should be so that that was probably for me something very interesting yeah but yeah do you, oh i was going to say i do you want me to kind of just talk a little bit about the discovery and and how that shook out
0: yeah wherever you want to start however much you want to share i I have so many tabs in your book because so many great okay. lines, so many things resonated with me. So yeah, you, you can dig in.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll just give a brief summary. So that way, everybody's kind of caught up as we, we talk about these different topics. Trying to reconnect with family, having a hard time doing that. I'd been away, you know, virtually since the time I was 18, I, I moved away and then moved all over the country many times in different careers. And it's a whole nother story. But when I came back, it, first of all, I'll say it was a little shocking that I was having a hard time, you know, really getting to be involved with uh, the family that I came back to be part of. I had young kids at the time and part of my wife's and my hope was that they'd be more exposed to extended family so they'd get a, a greater sense of that. Since we, neither of us were from the Twin Cities, you know, we just weren't getting that up there. So fast forward, year 2000, I'm at a twin uncle's uh, birthday party. It was their 60th birthday party. I was really close to one of them in particular. While I was off uh, getting beverages at the bar, I came back and my now ex-wife indicated that one of my elderly aunts had said something that was puzzling. I, I probed a bit and she said that she's known me since the day they adopted me. That was the first time I consciously had heard anything about that, um, that I was aware of. I, I went, found her. I was afraid I was going to give the poor thing a coronary. She had to be well into her 80s. You know, I'm I'm six foot, I weigh over 200 pounds, so I'm, I'm not exactly slight of character. I, I was nervous, but I pressed her, you know, and and she said, yeah, she uh, she said that, and she didn't know I didn't know, and I found out everybody there did know. So I, I kind of hijacked the party. It, it all of a sudden became about Fred coming out of the closet as being an adoptee instead of the twin uncle's birthday party. And I'm going to say that was the first swing of the wrecking ball. The second swing of the wrecking ball really was the following week when I contacted the state of Wisconsin, I was going into this blindsided. I had no idea that there were what I'd call ridiculous laws that would prohibit me from finding out what my identity was, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I, talk to the state. They spent the better part of an hour educating me in terms of adoption law and what I had a right to and, and what I no longer had a right to. And uh, that, that was the second swing of the wrecking ball, because in many ways, I saw that phone call from the state as taking me down a couple notches in society and making sure I understood where I truly belong. That took a bit to get used to. And I'm going to say that that totally erased my foundation. I had to build a new foundation at that point.
0: In the way you describe it in the book, I just picture you like, what? Like when they're telling you, you're thinking you can just get this information, just request it and go along your way. And, oh, no, it's it, there are these laws that say you have no yeah. right to this information about you. I just picture that being like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. <laughs> It's crazy. Well, it was,
1: it, yeah, and it was funny. I, you know, I thought, and, and actually, when I found out I was adopted, I, you know, there was a friend of mine that I worked with up in Minneapolis, uh, Bob. Bob was adopted. He uh, grew up in Illinois. He was living in Minnesota, but when he was sitting next to me, we were both architects, and his drawing desk was right next to mine. And periodically, I would catch him, you know, maybe after a lunch hour or a break or something, getting off the phone, kind of being, I'd say, uh, a little emotionally distraught, you know, and, and keep in mind, we're guys, we don't do that, you know, and we don't do it well, something to take note of. And I probed with Bob a bit, you know, like, Hey, what's up, man. As he told me a little bit about what he was doing, he was trying to get, find out who his, his mother was, his birth mother was, because he was adopted uh, from Pennsylvania. And he just said, you know, and they, you know, I, I can't get access to the records in my head. It was so funny. I remember thinking at the time, like, that's crazy. It must just be because there's so many state laws that you're going across, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it, it wouldn't be that they'd actually deny you that information. That was the furthest thought from my mind. You know, right. that's in your birth certificate. That's a factual document. Why wouldn't they just tell you that? You know? Yeah. I mean, it blew me away. It just blew me away. So I'm, I'm going to actually, in a, and I'll go down a path here, too, and say to some extent, I was, I was naive. I was very naive. <laughs> and this is this is eating some crow here, Jennifer, and I hope you can appreciate it. But I went from and, and I'm going to say I always viewed my I was, you know, I was a teacher for 20 years. So to some extent, I mean, I, I, I view myself as being an open minded, fairly non discriminating type person. And uh, I, I'm going to say it, it took me by surprise. And I learned at a whole different level what discrimination was about. Mm. I didn't get it before that. I just didn't get it.
0: I well, appreciate
1: knowledge. you sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd say even part of the intent of the book, you know, to try and help people understand that, you know, not just, you know, as as an adopted population, we're facing it. And I'll say one more thing on that, Accord. The What gets remarkable to me is you can think about so many, I'm going to say, marginalized factions of our society that, you know, we, we have over the course of time separated out or deliberately discriminated upon. And the, as far as I know, at this point in time, there's a lot of laws in place that say we cannot discriminate against those marginalized populations. Not saying that it doesn't happen. Don't get me wrong. But at least there's laws in place that say you can't do it. As far as I know, adoptees are the only marginalized population where it's actually stipulated into law that you must discriminate upon us. Isn't that and not something? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's when, crazy. I, when
0: I read. When I read that, when I read that in your book, I thought, wow, he nailed that. Like you nailed, you put words to what like, like I had been thinking. I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't even find the right words. And I think you did because that paints a clear picture of what we're talking about when it comes to having our records, having our original birth certificate and things that many of the states are still not allowing adoptees to have.
1: It turns out about two thirds to three quarters of the states in this country still have prohibitive laws that restrict at some level the access of original birth vital statistics to adult adoptees. You know, sometimes it's it's the matter of going through a special procedure. Sometimes you have to have records unsealed. Sometimes, you know, in the state of Wisconsin, um, which is currently the still the law today that's happened. You know, I discovered 20 years ago. I mean, to me, it was, it's very disappointing that the laws here haven't changed yet, but uh, there's actually a bill out there, SB 15 and a corresponding legislative bill that, that are up, uh, trying to make their way up through the system. I'm I'm somewhat hopeful that by either the end of 23 or maybe early 24, we may see a change in that in Wisconsin. I'm, I'm trying the best I can, but, and it looks like it could happen. I don't know if it will. You know, in Wisconsin, it was when I found out what I had to do is, first of all, I had to, you know, pay money, uh, wait time, get a copy of my redacted information, and that blew me away. And I've read your, you know, I'm almost done with your book, Jennifer, and uh, you you ran into kind of the same feeling of, wow, there are all these people that can read my story and understand exactly where I was, when I was, because then they take a black magic marker to it get rid of any piece of information that would be relevant to me really figuring out who I was mm-hmm. and then turn it over to me. Their sole intent is to forbid me from seeing what they just read.
0: What they're right? What they holding in their hand. What they're holding in their <laughs> hand,
1: what they're looking at.
0: That feeling. My was,
1: history, my history. Yeah,
0: it was an awful feeling. And I remember the yeah. post-adoption manager saying to me, I think you're 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 being impatient with me or something, on those lines. And I'm think I'm 48 years old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, both of my well, I didn't know my paternal side, but my maternal side, my mother, my birth mother is deceased. She's been deceased for 16 years. So like, I'm not a kid. And who who are you protecting?
1: Yeah. What are you protecting?
0: Yeah, and you're looking at. Records that won't ever be as important to you as they are to me. It, yeah. it was very. Um, it felt disrespectful. But anyway. Yeah,
1: to me, <laughs> it, it's yeah. I, I'm going to call it dehumanizing. Yeah. It, it, it reduces. It it takes what I'd call the soul out of the equation. It pretends that there is no soul. That there's no inner being. That's an emotional being. Mm-hmm. That. You know, and it's kind of interesting because as I started to, you know, really come to terms with what I lost the day I found out I was adopted, you know, one of the things I would say is as, as we interface with virtually everybody around us, we, we do so in a manner that we hold our own integrity just by knowing that we're the only ones who know us as well as we know ourselves. We've been with ourselves. we we've we've been stuck living with ourselves for you know in my case 64 years now you know and to suddenly find out that other people know more about you it reduces you to something that really isn't on equal footing it substandard it's still a child in many regards right you know somebody has to take care of this creature you know because it it, it can't be you know i mean one of the things i came to terms with and i've analogized it to is you know in essence the the day uh, an adoptee is born the first thing that's slapped on them is a restraining order and that's an order that prevents them from disturbing the peace and public of others it's like you didn't have to put the restraining order. i I, if she doesn't want to talk to me i'm not going to talk to her Mm -hmm. you know but i just want to find out who i am that's all it is
0: right you know earlier uh Today, I was telling you about a uh, page 202. I, I was telling you about a chapter on page. I'm sorry, I was telling you about a paragraph on page 202 that brought me to tears. And so much in your book resonated with me. It's so well written and so many great lines. Um, but this particular paragraph, actually moved me to tears, and I hope you know we talked about you possibly reading it before we end today so i I hope you will.
1: Uh, yes, I'd be happy to <laughs> and you you let you let me know when to sail with that one
0: okay, I will and on page sixty six also I just thought brought home the point of nature, right? When you say, as an orphan, all those pieces of the genealogical past become inaccessible. Adopted people have no way of finding out the answers to any of those questions. It seemed it was similar to grafting a cherry tree to the roots of an apple tree. And I just pause. I'm like, yep. So let's talk (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about what you have discovered about nature.
1: Well, yeah, and, and the the first thing you know that comes to my mind there is, um, I, and I'm, maybe I'm going to hijack this conversation a little bit. It's but I okay. Think point it's I, okay. I kind of want to make anyway, and that has to do with nature versus nurture. And you know, myself, what I'll say is, you know, I I was a teacher, a middle school and high school teacher for about twenty years. Doing that, you know, I received, I'll say, teacher training. You know. And part of what you receive in that really does kind of slant you toward heavy on the nurture side. So I'll say I I came into this whole thing swinging more from the nurture side. And really, at the time of my discovery, you know, I'd only been teaching, I'm going to say about five years uh, at that point. So really, the bulk of my teaching experience came after that. So my discovery did play into it. But I'll say between teaching and the discovery and looking at life the way I started to look at it and understand it at a different level. I went from, I'm gonna say before thinking nature was maybe 20% of the outcome and nurture was about 80%. And I've completely flipped that. And I'm gonna say, if nurture can hold on to 5% at this point, I'd be surprised. And the reason I say that is, you know, I I guess my best analogy is I I can never turn a Pekingese into a pit bull, but I can teach them both to sit.
0: I love that
1: yeah you know at the end of the day I think nurture can help bring out or help temper down certain characteristics but it's not going to get rid of them and you're not going to create new characteristics without some kind of a foundational genetic basis being there originally you know I mean trees look the way they do they're all they all have different leaves because they belong to a family Mm. they don't belong to the other family an apple tree doesn't you know I mean, you can graft them onto another tree, but that apple top is still going to be an apple tree. It's not going to be a plum tree if that's the roots it went onto. You know, right. you just can't do that.
0: Oh, I loved, I love that. Did you finish telling me or telling us the rest of your story, or you just want people to get your book, which they <laughs> absolutely should? It's it's so good and so many twists and turns and. I feel like you were very vulnerable and transparent. I loved learning about you getting a motorcycle. And and Uh, I pictured you like learning how to ride it. And I was thinking, boy, he is so ambitious. I would probably be, be thinking about it. And you have like put thousands and thousands of miles on it by the time I decide, well, maybe I'll do it.
1: Well, yeah. And I'll say that was, that was a very chaotic point in my life. Um, you know, I think one of the things I was trying to drive home at, at as I wrote the book, because, you know, I so far I've told you and your audience here about the point up to discovery um, and then really the state kind of kicking in. I was able to reunite with my birth mother fairly early on. State of Wisconsin has a cumbersome process, you know, where you write a birth, a, a letter to her. She can decline it. If she declines, you can't find out who you are. You have to wait five years, write another Um, If she declines that, its terminal until she dies, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very, I'm going to say antiquated and archaic system. She agreed on the first pass that I I could find out who I was. And I did subsequently find out my father passed before I was able to meet him, which was hard. You experienced that with your birth mother. I experienced that with my birth father. And I'm going to say, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I go through what the reunion was like and, you know, the reunion My birth mother ended up dying about seven years ago. And I'm going to say most of the book was written between 2006, 2007. That's when I put everything down on paper. actually came to terms with uh, a bad alcohol problem. I was an alcoholic. Went through recovery. I've been sober about 13, going on 14 years at this point. Finally got to a point where emotionally I could get the book out there and feel comfortable with that, which is what led me to getting it published and, and putting it out there. But yeah. So the book really kind of deals with that first six years of of coming to terms with finding out who I was and, and reshaping that whole aspect of myself as an identity. So going back to the motorcycle, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that one of the things that shocked me most about myself was going into it. I really did see myself as being a fairly open minded, non-discriminatory person but every thought and every feeling I had about what it meant to be adopted prior to knowing I was adopted, I had to face and come front and center with. So for instance, when I thought back on some boy in my class, I'll call him Bobby in first grade, who was argumentative and uh, struggled socially and, and really was acting out a lot, all of a sudden I have to realize that that formulated part of my opinion of what it was like to be adopted. You know, I thought of another person and, you know, a number of people along the way that i'll say you know it was kind of me coming to terms with what i had already established as prejudicial thought so the whole motorcycle chapter for me i think was was a bit of getting out there and experiencing and exploring a different side and and really kind of getting away and the other thing i'll say about it if you learn how to ride a motorcycle when you're 42 and you you start with something like you know a mid harley-davidson it feels like you're going to die at any moment. Mm. So it does allow you to check out and you, you can finally put some of those like compulsive, like, Holy buckets, what am I going to do with this? I'm adopted. You know, I can put it to rest when I'm riding the motorcycle because frankly I was fearing for my life at that point.
0: Yeah. And you describe balance. Um, oh. You have to have balance on the bike, right? And that you wanted some balance in your life during that time
1: yeah cuz i i would say i did lose my life for a while, for quite a, a while and that would really be that first 6 years it's interesting because just because i found out i was adopted didn't mean the rest of my life stopped and i try to make that point in the book too that other things in life other crises other things that are important life milestones continue to occur you know you just have to go back to puberty and try and assemble a new identity you know, because that was that phase that you were supposed to conquer back then. Well, right. guess what? You get to do it again in your forties. Yeah, you know? that—that's what kind of amazed me.
0: So, Fred, I know there are a lot of synchronicities in your book, and I love synchronicities or things kind of coinciding. Uh, and one in particular, on page one seventy-five, you say Ron, who's your uncle, your birth father's brother interjection into my life seemed to fill in the final missing pieces of Don and his family. The picture of my paternal side was fairly full. It was interesting. I had found so much about my paternal side, but much of my maternal side was still a mystery. I had met my biological mother, not my biological father, but I knew so much more about his side, and very little about hers. That was really interesting. What did you make of that?
1: You know, it's interesting because I'm going to say, keep in mind, that was written back in probably 2007 or so, you know, and uh, many, 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 many chapters have um, come and gone since then. And really, what gets really interesting is probably about a year ago, I came to terms with Wow, I really need to just find out about her side because I didn't. So I started, actually, I I found this site and it was find a grave, grave gravestone or something, uh, which is actually a great archaeological tool. I I did, I started using it and I thought, well, maybe I could use this on her side. So I did, and I actually uh, found out that her side, they're both from kind of around the Milwaukee metro area. There's a couple of cemeteries I'm hoping to get to uh, in spring here that house like three generations of some of my ancestors which to me is just fascinating you know and get down to where they're from I started to really kind of look back and say why is it that it's been 23 years and I'm finally digging into her side you know I'm going to say go back to that whole process of of finding out who she was and, and having her come to terms or having her accept that I could find out who she was First of all, I'll say that the system itself can reinforces the shame that's put in place, you know, or that was put in place in the 50s uh, to my birth mother. Our relationship, my relationship with her was always, I'm going to say, hindered. She felt terrible about uh, the fact that she was an unwed mother. She was still embarrassed about it. She didn't want anybody to know. Her condition of letting me find out who I was, was that, that I would not require that she acknowledge that we were related. So in other words, she wanted to still maintain the secrecy on her side. So when we got together, she, she was fascinated. I had three kids, which were her grandchildren, and, and she wanted to find out more about them, get to know who they were. It was interesting because even when we'd meet in restaurants, uh, she would insist I go in one door, she come in another, we'd meet in the back. I wasn't allowed to go to her funeral. She was scared to death. Somebody would find out that she had a son out of wedlock she carried that to her grave the more i looked at myself and started to really understand you know because it was easy for me to i'm going to say let her wear that in our relationship you know and i'm going to say that in essence it felt like another rejection you know like okay i'll let you know but just be aware nobody i i don't you can't nobody can ever know you're my kid. I don't want these people to find out I did this shameful thing. She did allow me to meet her her direct children. So I met a half-sister, half-brother at that point. The relationship always was kind of hindered by that. And in retrospect, I think it, it held me back from really diving into her side. I'll say I, I carried some resentment toward that. It was a deal I made, you know, okay, yep, I'll I I don't care. I just want to find out who I am. But I'm going to say then, as as time went on and as that relationship developed, I found it I needed to be acknowledged. And even in the book, her name's masked. Everything that would lead you to her identity is masked. But I'm going to say, I, I still hold probably a bit of a resentment toward that. I wish I didn't, but I do.
0: Yeah, that's heartbreaking to be rejected a second time. Yes. I found the question from that paragraph I, I read like that. And that was powerful. You said, was it because he was dead, referring to your birth father, and she yes. wasn't? But even if he wasn't, would it have mattered? I couldn't be sure. Like, I just love your writing style. Did I say that already? <laughs>
1: Yes. Thank you, yeah, thank you. I highly you recommend
0: know, your book I and, and I've been telling LDAs like crazy and they've been writing the title and your name down to get awesome. it. So you thank should you. see. Yeah, you should see the numbers go up for sure. Because I know well, Thank you. most of the LDAs that I know, and I know quite a few, they really want to hear from other LDAs. They're not slighting people like me who have known or don't remember not knowing. But at the same time, there are different issues. And one in particular that I have I heard you share on a podcast recently is that you, you have a hard time, it may have even been in your book, as an LDA, you have a hard time trusting yourself because we often think of being able to trust other people. Of course, that's in play too. But questioning whether you can trust yourself, it gives me chills because we have to be able to trust ourselves. And so there's that layer that I, I think about for LDAs. So I'm just glad you wrote this book. I think it's going to be of great benefit to just our community in general, especially LDAs. Do you have any specific guidance for LDAs? Because there's people finding out probably right now as we, as we speak that they're adopted and they didn't know.
1: It is very interesting. And I'm going to say one of the benefits that came out of that summit that we attended was, you know, as I interfaced with the other communities, and by that I mean the MPEs and NPEs who suddenly have a DNA surprise later in life, I came to terms with understanding that LDAs are kind of like the hinge pin in that grouping of people, because obviously we're adopted, so we have that side of us that can understand and relate to, you know, what would be termed the primal wound or that initial trauma that we got at birth that applies to us so we connect with the general adoptee population but there is the element of surprise that as an LDA most adoptees don't have that what i found very very interesting and i talked to you a little bit about this at one point was prior to me really diving into your book and i appreciate your book your book was you you wrote, wrote it very well and what i love about your style is you don't leave a stone unturned. You know, I can see why you were a good detective. It shows in your writing style, too. It's it's very thorough, very um, documented, and it feels very, very factual. There's not a hesitation there. Thank you, Fred. Well, yeah, definitely. And But what I would say is, for me, it, it had always been kind of a mystery. On I didn't understand the concept of adoptees as a whole who weren't LDAs coming through what I'm going to call this slow burn of coming out of the fog. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the term we most often refer to for the general adopted population. They, they emerge out of the fog. That is suddenly they start to see their reality in different terms and the clarity of what their life is as opposed to the narrative they'd been given and told was their life, living basically a, a life that wasn't their own is that fair to say?
0: Yes, I think so.
1: So as as I looked at that and and read your description, you know, I could see how, you know, circumstances and events eventually led way to a release of that drive or that desire to find out, you know, what are those other chapters? Because for myself, the initial blast of the discovery was so Immense, And it, it covered all other aspects of being adopted from my vision for a number of years. I just couldn't see beyond it of what that was. But then as I started to, you know, kind of move further into it I, and, and learn about who I was as an adopted individual recognize that I spent two and a half months that I still have no clue where it was because the state won't tell me and Lutheran social services I was not about to turn over those records and it's crazy you know um, those were if you think about it some of the most important two and a half months of anybody's life yes. you know and, and I still am barred from knowing where I was and it sounded like you were able to connect with your foster family and and which is amazing when I read that that was very heartfelt to me because that's that's a struggle I continue with today that I still don't understand. Why am I not allowed to know where I was or what happened to me? Of you know, course. They can, yeah. they can read it, but I can't, you know, connect, start to connect. And, and even though you may not, it doesn't feel like you're connected to the adopted population at large, you are, and, and you need to start to connect to see where those connections are. You know, whether it's reading memoirs, whether it's joining Facebook groups, the other thing I'd say is be careful, because a lot of, a lot of people out there, I think, too many, and I, it's unfortunate. The term I use is stuck in the muck. They just kind of get stuck in the anger and bitterness, uh, because there's plenty of it out there. And if you get stuck there, you, you got to kind of grab the bull by the horns and, and figure out how to expose yourself to some alternate perspectives that can help you get out of there. Because once you get stuck there, it's difficult to get out. It took me, I'll say, going through substance abuse and uh, addiction recovery to to really figure out how to pull out of that. that. That was a hard lesson learned. And I guess that's, you know, the other thing I would say is um, for myself, I'm not here, you know, in, and everybody's got to figure out for themselves, do they have a, a problem with substances? If it's the main coping mechanism, I'd say get other coping mechanisms before you dig deep into either finding birth family or coming to terms with some of the aspects of being adopted. It's important. I'd say, be able to do it from a sober perspective. If you, if you have a very light social drinker, fine, it doesn't matter. But if if you're using alcohol to numb the pain, that's a bad sign, you know, or if you're getting stoned every night because you just want to kind of get that escape, that's a bad sign. I'd say, get that stuff under wraps first, go through counseling, do whatever you need to do, then dive deep into it.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of LDA listeners can really appreciate hearing from you. I know you're very active in the community. And I've heard your name come up a lot. So just hmm. just great the work you're doing. It's it's really important. And Thank I, you. Yes. And and I just have a few more questions. Sure. A lot of people wanna know about writing,
1: of course.
0: And how long did it take you to write your memoir?
1: you know I'm gonna say and, and i I guess I'm kind of long winded you know I'd say it was about two years and and I'm gonna say at it pretty steady. I got most of it done, and then there was probably about another six months on the back end getting it ready to go out for publishing and printing mm. so that's, you know, somewhere that's, somewhere
0: not, I, that's not long okay, I don't think so well, it took me five years that uh, that seems kind of long but <laughs> But I think that's well, pretty good.
1: Yeah. The other thing I'd say is keep in mind from the time I wrote it to the time I got it published, that was 10 years. So I'd say there was an emotional hump I had to get over in order to actually get it out. You know, I sat on it for a long time. I had a hard, my goal in doing it was to have that voice out there. Because when I discovered in 2000, there was not really much on being an LDA. There was nothing. It wasn't even mentioned in books. I think I saw one paragraph that basically said, if if you're subject or if if you are condemned to this affliction, there's really no hope for life. You know, it's like, great. Right. You know, but.
0: For people who have read your memoir, is there something that you left out that in hindsight you would have
1: included? You know, I came to a, a conscious decision to end it where I ended it. You know, I've I've actually started writing a, a follow up to it because I think the next chapter gets very important. Um, it's the chapter where I come to terms with being an alcoholic, actually starting to learn how to use different types of tools uh, as coping mechanisms in day to day living. You know, it's kind of interesting, and that's I think that's another thing that I think isn't really talked enough about, you know, in the adoption community, I as a person use faith. I I have a, you know, a a faith in God, a a relationship with my God. As a result of that, I'm able to access faith as a tool to help me on a day-to-day living basis. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you're just avoiding healing because you're not allowing yourself to feel the pain. No, I'm allowing myself to feel the pain, but I'm doing it in what I would call measured amounts when I'm psychologically and emotionally prepared to deal with it. Healing to me is different than day to day living. I'm, I'm not going to live a, you know, yeah, I guess I am living a healing lifestyle. But at the same time, I'm going to say, I don't need to feel the pain all the time in order to let it heal. I need to be able to apply healing techniques at the appropriate time so I can help get beyond the pain so I can help yeah yeah, and help myself just have a life that's worth living because if I live the pain all the time that is not a life worth living
0: yeah that's good and as a published author how does it feel to be on the other side of of writing your book
1: you know what's interesting about it is going into it you know I went into it for you know I'm going to say Some reasons that were somewhat altruistic, some that, you know, were more self-serving. I think a a large part of going into the writing of it was cathartic in nature. It was a healing process. It was me really coming to terms. If I'm going to put it in writing, I better know what I think about it. So trying to settle a lot of the arguments I had with myself in my own head went into putting it down on paper. You know, what am I going to decide is my definitive view on this and, and how do I feel about it? And then getting to a point where you can actually put it out there. So I'm going to say that that part was more selfish in nature. The altruistic, really anybody that is stumbling into the path of being an LDA. And then finally help society just become more aware that it's totally ridiculous. You know, and especially today with all the DNA databases and search angels, people are going to find out what they need to find out one way or another. Right now, the laws, if anything, are just kind of making themselves unrighteous. Sorry this is an editorial but look stupid you know i mean they're archaic they're behind what's actually happening with technology so all they're doing is reinforcing shame where shame doesn't need to even be there you uh, go
0: that's it yeah
1: but i would say the part about that i love coming out of the back end of being published is it is such a vehicle for discussion i wouldn't have probably had a chance to be on as many podcasts to to go to conferences, talk to people, to have an author table. You know, you mentioned at the uh, the summit, you know, there were a lot of great, you know, sessions going on. And I'll agree, there were a lot of great sessions. I think I only attended about 20 minutes or you know maybe a half hour total of those sessions because i just got engrossed in all the conversations <laughs> i was having with all the other people aren't they I the best them. yeah yeah i couldn't leave them <laughs> to go to the sessions you know i, I was, was like, just
0: saying that the so, one-on-ones i had yeah were just great yeah. or just sitting down at a table with three or four uh, other people attending yeah that was great
1: yeah, the other thing, you know, and for the book with me that it really does is because I sell the book you know, I I sell gluten free breads and cookies at farmers markets. Bread bakes um, bread. Freds, Fred's <laughs> breads, breads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me. I got the chance.
0: I'm not gonna cut you off, but I got the chance to try it and I highly recommend your bread, uh gluten free,
1: right? Yes, everything's gluten free. <laughs> yeah, I, I bring the taste back to gluten free. That's that's kind of what I'm trying to do. So, anyway, what I was saying, thank you very much for that little plug. Fred'sbreadstore.com is where you can find out about that. I'll do my own plug. The nice thing is, at all these farmers markets where I'm selling my my breads, I'm also selling my books. Most of the day at those markets, I'm engaging in discussions about adoption. Isn't that something? It's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. I am most the general public, God bless their souls, they have hearts of gold. And when they find out the facts, when they know the situation, they're like, that's disgusting. You know, and then I'm like, here, go write your senator. Tell them that it's right. disgusting. There's a bill, AB 15, right now. Get on get on your email. Get that done, you know. I'm so, glad you shared
0: that. That's another reason why you did the book. Like, you, you may not have even known that that was going to unfold that way. But being on the other side,
1: yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's it's just a vehicle for discussion. And I'll say the other thing, as you get into the community of adoptees who are publishing and writing or doing articles, and wow, what a what a group of amazing individuals. It makes you see, you know, and I, I do stand by, I know, there's a, a lot of discussion about, you know, how, you know, the, the problems with adoption. But I'm going to say, you know, when I look at some of the, the vast majority of the people that are coming out of it, these are amazing, strong, good-hearted People, you know, that went through a lot. They endured a lot. You know, they, they kind of grew up with some challenges. And as a result, they, they rose above those challenges. I think they're a, really a triumph or a, a great expression of the triumph of the human spirit. You know, how mm. it can thrive, even in less than perfect conditions.
0: Right. I would have to agree with you. I know I've met some extraordinary people through the community that I often think I would not have met them had I not been adopted. Yes. I want to thank you for introducing me to Jack.
1: Sure. Dr. Jack.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. He and I had a great conversation and he's got a soon to be released memoir, recycled, a reluctant search for truth, self through nurture, nature and free will. I'm excited about that. I think it comes out Father's Day. yes glad you put me in touch with him and as a matter of fact i'm recording with him tomorrow i thought this is perfect to to talk to you and then talk to him so thank you for that
1: (laughs) yeah and i'll say i i was fortunate jack sent me a copy of his book to pre-read it is amazing jack's got an interesting twist in his story um i don't want to give away too much but i'll say he uh he's known since earliest memory that he's adopted so he's not a late discovery but he he finds out of a, a pretty uh, to him a significant surprise later in life. He didn't even go through the slow burn of you know coming out of the fog. I think his his ex-wife pushed him out into the or out of the fog. Get this DNA test. We're about to have kids. But we want to find out more. The result was uh, Jack did find out more, and I yeah. think it was quite a shock. It it tore apart p- away part of his foundation as well. You know, and he faced a lot of the same things I did because he felt like his parents misled him, but he thought he had a great adoption. I think my parents were great to me. They loved me. They gave me a lot. I don't, I think they made a mistake. They should have told me. I'm a parent of three adult children. I made a lot of mistakes. If I'm going to hold my parents accountable, you know, and say like, you didn't tell me I hate you for life, you know, well, I'm condemned too with my kids because I made plenty of Big I'm
0: glad you said that. I, I have a son and I have made plenty of mistakes too. So you're right. You're right about that. Yep. Well, I think this is a great time for you to read page 202 when you're ready. Alrighty. Is this good for you? Sure.
1: I can do that. All right, here we go. All right. And and I will say page 202 is toward the end. It's uh, closing in on the the very end of the book. This paragraph, and Jennifer, you highlighted it, it is meant to be kind of a summary paragraph. It's meant to start to wrap together, you know, the, the themes that have been brought forth in the book itself. So I'm just going to dive right in here. And yeah, uh, it
0: brought me to tears. I mean that.
1: <sighs> well, thank you. So I mean, I'm sorry it brought you to tears, but I'm glad it, it moved you. Um, you know, that's the goal of, I think, any author is to create some kind of an emotional response, you know, um, right. that it hits something. Right. So since the time of my discovery, i had witnessed the near death of my daughter, the disintegration and reconciliation of my marriage, and the near fatal accidents of three friends I had met on the road, along with the death of a former student. Yet, I concurrently pressed on with my mission. This mattered. People shouldn't find out they are adopted in their early 40s, but I did. People shouldn't be denied the knowledge of who they are, but they are. But my experience was that as a legitimate issue individual, I had more rights to my factual information about me than I did as an adopted individual. Was I not born equally? Thinking about my experience in Springfield, I didn't recall Lincoln saying all men are created equal unless they are adopted. But those are the views so many of our laws portray. I had gained my information, but at what cost? The process made it clear I did not own my own life. My life continued to be owned by the state. In the eyes of society, adults who were adopted were still children. So powerful.
0: Doesn't it do something to you reading it? Did you feel it?
1: You, you, <laughs> Jennifer, you took me back, man. You know, mm. it's uh, I. You know, it, what it takes me back to is the backdrop of, behind that is in the efforts to bring closure to my adoption that is finally uh, bring some resolution about who my biological father was and understand more aspects to his life uh so i could help frame that in the context of who i was i took a trip to texas from milwaukee and i decided on my way down i would stop because illinois is just below wisconsin Mm -hmm. uh, at springfield illinois i had been very interested in the civil war at the time because um, I found I had my great-great-great-grandfather fought in the Civil War. He had a number of cousins that fought in the Civil War. Um, so I had a lot of ancestors that were actually out of the Civil War. So Lincoln became a, a figure front and center for me. And I did stop at his tomb. And as I read it, I, I was reduced to just a sobbing mess because it took me back to all those fights that my grandparents, my great-great-grandparents had fought for the rights of people to to be sanctioned individuals, to to own their own lives. And yet here I felt at some level that still hadn't been afforded to the adopted population. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it took me back there. And, uh, that, that, that is a, a strong emotion for me. Yes. That's a strong place to be.
0: Thank you so much for reading it, Fred.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it, <laughs> Jennifer. I, I appreciate your podcast. You, um, help, helped me a lot and I hope if anybody's listening it helps them as well
0: oh yeah for sure well I guess in closing is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like
1: to share no I think I think you covered the bases pretty well you know (laughs) this was I think we got just about everything in there Yeah. yeah this was very
0: rich and meaningful conversation and I thank you so much for taking the time to have it with
1: me yeah well thank you for having me you're, you're moving mountains out there, lady. And uh, <laughs> uh, my hat's off to you. Keep up the good work, keep spreading the word. I think the more of us you can get shouting from the mountaintops, the the faster we'll see change. That's what needs to happen. The dialogue needs to go from just being internally. We need we need to start getting it externally, too. Radio waves are one way to do it, you know?
0: Absolutely It is a big treat to get to know a podcast guest through phone calls, emails, and their memoir, and then meet in person shortly after. At the Untangling Our Roots Summit, I recall making my way to Fred Nekor's table with his book in my hand, so excited to get his autograph. Since completing Forbidden Roots, I have been highly recommending it to everyone, but especially late discovery adoptees. Many LDAs have expressed to me their desire to hear specifically from other LDAs, and I totally understand the added layer of trauma by members of that group. So many of Fred's experiences written about in his memoir resonated with me, and I can only imagine how beneficial his words will be for other LDAs. Fred describes what followed his discovery. He's vulnerable when he shares about his struggle with drug and alcohol addiction, which eventually resulted in sobriety, mental, spiritual, and physical well-being. He's been through the ups and downs of life and found ways to stand on more solid ground after being deceived for decades by those he believed were being truthful about his identity. I deeply appreciate Fred reading one of my favorite paragraphs from his book, That moved me to tears. He puts words to what some of us feel like to be an adoptee when we have been an adult for decades. Thank you, Fred, for having this conversation with me. I find you to be a person who takes the bull by its horn and doesn't waste time in doing what needs to be done, no matter how challenging the situation might be. In doing so, you help yourself and other people too. Each time we chat, I find my thoughts going to a Gretchen Rubin phrase. I must both accept myself and expect more from myself. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it, because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.